Before we start this podcast, uh, I just want to discuss a little bit about our giveaway. Um, we're doing a giveaway for our 100 subscribers. I just want to thank everybody for for joining us on this journey, I guess. And um, if you want to subscribe, feel free. Um, we're doing a giveaway for the book 100 Baggers. Um, it's about 100 to 1 in the stock market. Um, it's a book just by Chris Mayer. We'll get a brand new copy sent out to you. Um, to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is subscribe and then just comment down below on one of our videos. And we're doing the giveaway August 16th, I believe. So you'll be able to uh, watch our next video on Monday, August 16th. And uh, yeah, to enter again, all you have to do is just subscribe and comment down below on one of the videos and then you're entered in. So thank you very much. And we're going back to the podcast. Welcome back to the Monday Under the Mattress podcast. My name is Mitch and my co-host is Jake. And today we are joined by Brad Kellner. Jake and I have been watching Brad's videos for some time now, and we are very excited to have him on. Brad's YouTube channel is the Nirvana for the fellow value investor, as he goes over topics ranging from Monish Pabrai talks to his magic formula portfolio, as well as a lot of other more important investing topics that we can discuss later on. So with that, I'd like to thank you for coming on with us and joining us today, Brad. Absolutely. Happy to be here, guys. Hey, it's, uh, it, it was great to uh, finally get in contact with you uh, after both, both you and Tom have definitely helped uh, to Jake and I's careers and in investing so far. So, so we thank you for that so far. Um, awesome. The first, I guess, question we always ask is, how did you initially start? Uh, like, how did you get into investing? Yeah, so I think it was about maybe 2014 or 2015, I picked up uh, Tony Robbins book, Money Master the Game. And I don't know, it was, just, I was ready to kind of make the shift more towards a, a money focus in my life, kind of get my, my house in order financially. Uh, so I picked up that book and, you know, it struck me as a lot of typical advice you would hear. Nothing really stood out to me as something I wanted to dig into from that book. Uh, but it kind of got the wheels turning. I looked a little bit into Ray Dalio and somehow I came across Monish Pabrai on YouTube. And it was just like, yes, this all makes so much sense. And I dove in with him and uh, yeah, just been off to the races since then. Yeah. Monish Pabrai talks are one of the, it's like, it's like Christmas morning every time he drops <laughs> one of those videos and then, and then like probably a day or two later, then you'll come out with your summary of it. And it's, it's, it's quite a good little selection that we have between you, Monish, and then and then Tom that we were talking about today. It's been great. Christmas is happening more and more often lately, I guess, because of, you know, the pandemic, Pabrai isn't traveling as much. He's got more time to sit down and do Q&As, which has just been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Um, so um, would you like to explain why you find cloning to be very beneficial? Absolutely. Um, so... I don't remember, it was maybe a talk that Pabrai gave a month ago and he quotes Warren Buffett saying, you know, how do you explain to a fish what it's like to walk on land? Um, so it's best to, to, in order to really grasp a skill, uh, it's, it's really important to dive into it kind of early in life in like the teenage years, Pabrai uh, would say. And Personally, I don't have experience running businesses in my teen years. Unfortunately, I, I missed that wave. Uh, but Pabrai, you know, 
growing up, his dad was a serial entrepreneur and, you know, it was just failure after failure, but there were all of these business lessons that Pabrai got through the family businesses. And so uh, the, the beauty of cloning is we can identify who are these great minds in business who have also made the leap into investing. And we can see exactly what we're doing and we can start with what they've bought recently and you know, try to reverse engineer why they made that buy decision, which is so much easier than you know, picking out any old business from you know, a dartboard and trying to understand what the investment merit of that company is. So there's just a ton of value that I found in being a shameless cloner. And the more I do it, the more and more value that I find in it. It's almost like, of, it, it seems too simple uh, at first, but it, it's just so powerful. Speaking of cloning over the next week here, we should be seeing some 13 apps come out. Eh? Yeah, I'm so excited. This, this is my Christmas this every, is... every three months, the 13 F season. Yeah. Yeah. And we've already seen some come out, right? We saw Guy Spear who, who did a few things. Yeah. Um, we saw Charlie Munger. He didn't do anything, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited for, you know, this Friday going into next Monday to see what everybody is, is buying. Were you surprised that Guy Spear bought Baba? Uh, I wasn't, I, I'm not surprised anyone's buying Baba anymore. I mean, Phil Town, we just found out, bought it. Guy Spear, you know, it seems like everyone who's anyone is, is in Baba now. Uh, I was a little surprised to see him buy Daily Journal. It's kind of prompted me to look a little bit more into Daily Journal. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Peterson, who's on Twitter, he's in other places. I think he did a talk with Tobias Carlisle through the Acquirers podcast, kind of deep dive into Daily Journal. So that's something I want to revisit. But, you know, it's not a very high conviction stake. So uh, I'd probably I'd like to see the Pabrai bought into Daily Journal before I do a lot of work on it, because you know, obviously, Pabrai spends a lot of time with Charlie Munger. It seems like it would be right in front of his face if, if it was something that Pabrai was interested in. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for that. I'm also interested in seeing Lee Liu's portfolio to see if he's gotten any more Baba because he sold out a few quarters ago, right. I believe. And then he didn't buy last quarter because that was kind of like the opinion that Jake and I had was that Lee Lu was kind of the one that would have shifted Munger or he was like the inside guy. He was right. the guy to talk to of Chinese uh, businesses. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering maybe if he um, transferred them to the Hong Kong exchange instead. It's, it's very possible. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to look at Lee Lu's holdings in through the Hong Kong exchange. I did a video about it a while back. There were only like two that were disclosed through, through that you know, basically SEC of China. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a black box, unfortunately, most of what Li Lu is doing overseas. Is, is there any other people that you look for for 13Fs um, other than Monish, Guy Spear, obviously Buffett and Munger? Is there anybody else that you look um, more closely at? Uh, yeah, David Tepper from Appaloosa Management is, is someone... You know, I, I get excited to, to check out to see what he's doing. Uh, Phil Town, someone I, I mentioned a couple minutes ago. Um, I have like 12 that, that I kind of look at each 13F season. 
And a lot of those I got from Monish Pabrai's free lunch portfolio. You know, he has a kind of a cloner aspect to the free lunch portfolio where he mm-hmm. listed 10 different fund managers that kind of fit his um, framework for, for buying stocks. So I, I look at those as well. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm guessing investing has changed your life possibly in a monetary way, but has it changed your life um, as that you see the world a d- different way? Hmm. Um, you know, so, so before the whole investing thing, I was pretty hardcore into permaculture, just like sustainable living, I guess would be a broad stroke way to describe it. And those two worlds have always been separate for me. Uh, but I can feel them getting closer and closer. Uh, so I'm excited for the day when I can look at my portfolio and you know, my values just shine through in the businesses that I own. Um, I'm, I'm not there yet, um, but you know, obviously I put a lot of time into the YouTube channel. There's a, there's a lot of different investors that I'm you know, corresponding with on YouTube, on Twitter, so it takes up a lot of my time. Uh, the passion piece, you know, still hasn't quite locked into place in terms of, you know, my values being behind all of that, but it's coming. Would you uh, like to run your own fund someday? Or is that something you're not really interested in? Uh, running my own fund. You know, it's funny, Brian, in, I think the last talk he did talked about you know, who should think about starting a fund. And he's mentioned this a number of times where, you know, if you're not independently wealthy, you haven't really proven that you can do this thing called investing and, and that, that you should be managing other people's money. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, if, if I'm not doing it to, you know, make more money, um, I think I just run my own account. I don't, I don't, uh, I think it'd be, just another source of stress in my life to have to, you know, field calls from people whose money, money I was managing when a stock is down 10% or whatever. It's just not, it's not how I want to spend my time. So, um, Pabrai seems like he's got it pretty well. It seems like he's attracted the right kind of investors uh, to invest in Pabrai funds. So, you know, that, that might be a, a good situation, but it's not really something that's on the near-term time horizon for me. Going back to discussing your YouTube channel, you start, how long ago did you start your YouTube channel? Was it 2018? Yeah, I think it was 2018. I was doing stuff in real estate back then. I had just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was in this group where we were playing the cash flow game, which is Robert Kiyosaki's, you know, board game for, (laughs) uh, you know, getting to financial freedom. And so I was doing real estate workshops and things. Then I took a break for uh, maybe a year. And then I kind of re re shifted, shifted focus to the stock market. Uh, And that started somewhere around the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. And, you know, I was inspired by Tom who you mentioned before, I think he monetized in like a year of making a couple of videos a week. So I, I looked and I wanted to know how many videos did he actually make before he monetized. And I figured if I could make a video every day for three months, 
I would have as many videos as it took for him to monetize. I could just compress the time into one quarter. And so I set out to do that. I did it. I made a video every day. After three months, I had a thousand subscribers, uh, but I didn't have my 4,000 watch hours. It took another month to get that 4,000 watch hours. So it was four months and, and I was monetized. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting ride there. Where would you like to take the YouTube channel in the future? Yeah, where would I like to take the YouTube channel? Um, you know, I've never really sat down and created a business plan or whatever for the YouTube channel to try to figure out what the trajectory is. It's been fun to just follow my interests and make videos about what I'm digging into, kind of documenting my investing journey. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't have an answer to that now. Um, I'm just enjoying kind of the free flow process of making content and interacting with people. Yeah, that's what we felt like. We just started our YouTube, um, I believe maybe like a month and four days ago or something like that. Awesome. Congrats. Well, thank you. And then, <laughs> yeah, because we had our podcast, we started that in January. And then we're like, you know what? We want to go and interact with people from YouTube. Um, and having a YouTube audience as well as just a, a podcasting audience as well. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And uh, we're hoping to get to the, the thousand subscribers and the 4,000 watched hours eventually. So, so then we can yeah. monetize. Well, uh, you guys are ahead of the game. Uh, the investors podcast with, with Stig and all of them, you know, they were doing the podcast for years before. I think they're just now starting uh, their YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. kudos on, on getting ahead of the curve with that. How's Thank it going you. so far with the YouTube channel? Uh, I believe we just hit 100. We're around 120, 110 subscribers so far within the last 28 days. Um, so, it's, nice. I mean, it's it's a lot better than I expected it to go. Um, uh -huh. I, I wanted to get like, I want to get a 500 within a year. So okay. we'll see how that goes, I guess. But are, uh, you, are you pulling clips from podcasts or, or what kind of content are you are you creating for that? Yeah, so we do a visual um, for the actual YouTube. So we do a visual um, just like any other podcast does visually. Uh -huh. And then I've done a few things where I'll clip like um, Monish Parai talks where he yeah. talks like about Alibaba sure. or just like different like Peter Lynch talks. I've clipped uh -huh. a couple of those, put them on a few shorts. So we're not really sure exactly where we want to go with the YouTube channel yet. We haven't yeah. really sat down and said like a business plan, like you said, yet. Sure. Um, but eventually, yeah, we'd like to have a podcast as well as have uh, other people kind of be able to put clips up. So it's almost like a community. So if somebody has an yeah. idea that like they'll update it, then we'll watch it and put it to our, our YouTube. That's great. Well, let me know if uh, I can help with, with your YouTube journey awesome. all along the way. Thank you. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So um, I've heard you mention before, I believe on one of your YouTube videos that your ideal portfolio would be about five equal weighted positions at 20%. Yeah. How and what influenced you to come up with those numbers? Um, so going back to Pabrai, he, you know, in his personal account, he liked to have between one and three holdings, very concentrated. Uh, and I think Charlie Munger would probably say around three, right? Um, in Pabrai's fund, he has around 10 positions. Uh, so... 
I don't know, comfort wise, I just kind of found a middle ground there around five. It just feels like it's heavy enough where, you know, if something hits really well, you know, I'm happy with, with having a good chunk of change in that particular company. Um, but if one tanks, you know, it, it doesn't hurt the portfolio too much. It's just one out of five. So uh, I guess it's just a, a matter of personal comfort to have five positions. There's no magic to it. Well, it makes sense though. It, it yeah. really does. Cool. Hey, we're just going to take a quick break just to talk about the sponsor for today. Uh, the sponsor is Quarter. So Quarter is a new way of doing company research. Their first mission is to enable access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports as frictionless as possible straight to your pocket. Their second mission is to create a completely new way for companies to reach their investors and vice versa, to change the way to look at company research. Their initial core product is now available on both iOS and Android, but stay tuned for additional features during the coming year. Um, so Quarter is 100% free. Uh, they include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more during the coming year. Um, Quarter has been great for me. Uh, it's been great for Jake. I've seen it all over Twitter lately. Um, a lot of people are really enjoying using the platform for Quarter, and I still have not yet to find a better earnings call um, app. It has everything that you really need. And yeah, so they prioritize requested companies, which you can easily do in the app. Uh, they have a lot more in store for the second half of the year. Um, so you're just going to want to follow them on Twitter just to stay up to date with whatever's coming out. Um, and then they'll also be tweeting out usually um, what are the new companies that are kind of releasing that they put on the app. Um, so you just want to follow them at quarter app. So that's at Q-U-A-R-T-R underscore A-P-P. Again, that's at Q-U-A-R-T-R underscore app on twitter thank you very much let's go back to talking with brad where are you guys at for that position size mitch position sizing um well have you talked to our five holdings jake well i just asked him about his like how he mm -hmm. would like to one day have five holdings um but i believe i have six and you have five holdings right now yeah so okay you have six do you okay yeah, I have five hold, five holdings. My position sizing is not as much as a, or sorry, it's a little more than I would like um, in the future. Um, right now, my biggest position is Alibaba at thirty one percent, I believe. Okay. But it's the way I look at it as we are young and we're getting more additional income coming in sure. from different different revenue streams. Um, that thirty one percent more is like a twenty percent waiting in like future years time. That's kind of like the way that we look at it. It's just like cool. a year out, what is it going to be? Because if you have like a, at our age, a 10% position, then it's just going to get diluted within a few months to a year. Sure. And yeah. It's an interesting kind of moving target exercise, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if, but I, if was, I was, no, you go Jake. But if I was running like a fixed portfolio, um, it was like my own personal portfolio. Um, I'd probably do seven to seven or eight positions probably and then i'd probably if i was running like let's say um, a fund it would probably be 10 to 15 positions probably yeah i think and would it be equal weight or would you try to you know have more in your higher conviction bets yeah i'd have more in my higher conviction bets yeah. for sure yeah 
I don't really like the whole equal weight thing because none of my positions I like equally. Like I actually sometimes right now um, have a hard time, not just having like two or three positions. Like I find um, like some of them I really like, like Alibaba, obviously. I think I have 35% right now in Alibaba. Uh-huh. And sometimes I think like a few of my other positions, I'd rather have those at 30 instead of like 15. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I would say like, yeah, if I had a fixed amount of income or fixed amount to run, um, I would also have, yeah, I wouldn't do equal weightings either. I don't think it all depends. I do like the, the per bride 10 by 10, mm-hmm. um, like 10 at cost. I'm not sure if he's still doing that or not. Um, I think he's mainly trying to stick he, to that still. That's, yeah. that's what it's looked like is that he's pretty well stuck to it. Um, I do enjoy that. I think that's what I would do if I had equal weightings. I'd probably do a 10 by 10 or I would do like the, because you, you said that you do a five by 20. Is that correct? Uh, five positions. Yeah. 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be like the probably the most like probably the most concentrated I would go if I had equal weightings. I don't think I'd do a three by thirty-three. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I would probably have seven to eight holdings, and then my highest conviction would probably be around possibly twenty-five percent. Okay. Yeah, and you know, it's it's not set in stone for me. I, I have a magic formula portfolio as well that I'm kind of testing that strategy, and I've been noodling with. Um, you know, kind of a coffee can portfolio where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find micro cap long-term compounders, maybe five or 10 a year and just leave them alone for 10 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of experimenting, but in terms of the cloning, bigger piece, bigger, bigger bets, uh, I'm at kind of a five, five picks at the moment. You want to talk about how you came up with like your, I guess, tweaked version of the magic formula? Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, I read Greenblatt's book a couple of years ago, the little book that still beats the market. Obviously very impressive. The numbers uh, that, that came out of that, like 30s, I think it was, was it 30? Maybe it was mid 20% per year back tested like 18 years or something. Um, so I thought, well, I should test this because I'm not going to know if it works unless I test it. And I guess the reason I tweaked it uh, in the Dondo investor towards the end, which is Monish Pabrai's more popular book. Uh, he said, if he were going to do the magic formula, he would probably you know, do it in conjunction with Value Investors Club. I think that's what he said in that book. And so it got me thinking, well, what other filters might, you know, contribute to a magic formula type approach? Uh, And I'd say the big tweak I have is I'm not doing holding for one year. I'm not buying and then selling after one year. Um, Because Greenblatt, you know, after he started this magic formula approach, he actually did a little test himself where um, some investors had the magic formula automatically done for them and some investors did it themselves, right? And there was one case, obviously it's just, you know, one 
data point uh, where they bought the initial batch and then they didn't touch it for two years. Um, that was the, the length of the, of the test. And that one actually did the best. Um, and of course, you know, there's been many books that come out where, and Pabrai has said this, where uh, the most important attribute of a great investor is patience. So that's kind of my attempts to incorporate patience into the magic formula as sort of a, an additional filter. Um, you know, I just, I just added some filters that seemed like they made sense in terms of, you know, what would contribute, what would improve returns over time with a, with a magic formula type portfolio. So I've been doing that every quarter. I think it's been, it's been about a year since I've been doing that. Obviously the market has just been gangbusters the last year. Um, the magic formula has been about in line with the market. I think I'm hoping where the magic formula really shines is when the market takes a pounding because there's that sort of built-in downside protection in, in those magic formula stocks, theoretically at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I DM'd you on Twitter a little bit about probably a couple months ago, maybe now, about how I enjoyed your magic formula video and how that you were able to do it and that's not as much turnover and that uh, I just like the way that you did it and had a tweaked version of it compared to just mm -hmm. going gung-ho gung on just the, the magic formula that you do see on, on the actual magicformula.com. I think that's the website. Yep. I might be mistaken. Magic formula investing, I think. Magicformulainvesting.com. But yeah. Um, to be honest, you know, uh, I, I quickly identified that the magic formula was an incredible keyword for YouTube. Like mm -hmm. if you look at investing with Rose, if you, there, there's a few really big investors who have really leveraged the magic formula to grow their YouTube channels. Um, you know, obviously that, that, wasn't, that wasn't all of it. I wanted to test the magic formula portfolio, but it has been one of my better keywords. So I think that's, that's important to consider for someone who wants to grow on YouTube. You know, there's, you're going to find if you throw enough content up against the wall, there's a few things that are going to really stick. Mm -hmm. If you're smart, you're going to double down on those things. I'm sure you guys have seen a ridiculous amount of Alibaba content out there in the last month. Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah. The content does incredibly well in terms of views and retention and all of that. So um, I haven't leveraged that as much as, as I probably could have, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to notice that. Yeah. There's, do you know what his name is, Jake? Do you know how to pronounce it? Is it Tai Chi Kang? Jake? I don't want to mispronounce his name. His, I don't, whole, I his whole, his whole, his whole YouTube channel is about Alibaba and it's done it's really right. well. And it's done really well. Uh, he's, he's a it's really an awesome channel. It's a really good channel. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, I, I prove it. What it is. It's like, I'll watch your video, Tom's video and Taishi Kang's video every day. Huh, that's that's nice. what it is. So it's one of the YouTubers that I do watch and stay up on, especially because I am an Alibaba, I, but yeah. I think that he also uh, created like a discord channel for bulls and bears of Alibaba too. So they could go on and talk huh. about it. Awesome. That's a very smart idea. So I have to check him out. Yeah, he's he's really very knowledgeable on Alibaba. But if you're not interested in Alibaba, then it's like <laughs> <laughs> there's I guess nothing else. No, <laughs> no, he that's all he talks about is Monish Pabrai. Uh, he talks about Jack Ma, Daniel Zhang, 
and then just Alibaba, Alibaba Cloud, anything that you want to discuss Alibaba. He's, yeah. I'd like to get him on eventually too to discuss Alibaba and then just let him go. But, it's, it's, I, I got it right here before you mention there. It's Tay Chi Kang. I hope I pronounce that Tae right. Tay Chi Kang. Okay. Tay Chi Kang. Okay. We talked about a YouTube channel that's caught some tailwinds recently, huh? Be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some books that you have read over the last couple of years that you felt have kind of influenced your investing style or just your lifestyle um, better? Yeah. Um, well, the one that Pabrai keeps talking about because he's in the first chapter, uh, and I'm spacing on the name. You guys probably remember. Richer, Wiser, Happier. Richer, Wiser, Happier. It's a fantastic book. Yeah. Um, a lot of investors that I, I really um, admire, you know, say it's it's the best book they've read all year on on investing um so that's that's a great one um 100 to 1 in the stock market you know i tried to sink my teeth into that it's it's been hard to read for me uh for whatever reason um i i I prefer 100 baggers by chris meyer um and i just ordered I just ordered Terry Smith's book. Um, oh, from Smith Smith Fund. Yep, yep. What uh, is that one called? It's, uh, it's growth investing. Um, investing sure for they, growth. Yeah, no, it is investing for growth. Growth. Yep. So I'm excited to check that one out. Uh, and I just downloaded a book on Audible that Pabrai recommended with um, Jeff Bezos. It's like writings from Jeff Bezos. So. Oh. I'm looking forward to that. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for, for new books to read. And most of them I read, I listen to on Audible because okay. I've got two kids and it's hard to find time to sit down and like, you know, look at a book. So if I can listen, I can be doing multiple things at once. Um, so yeah, th- those are a few. How about for you guys? What have you read recently? Very similar. Um, yeah. Richer, Wiser, Happier, I think mm-hmm. has been book of the half decade i think it, it's <laughs> yeah. been i really i read it twice um i mean the chapters there, there's a lot of great knowledge like the the chapters on monish pabrai there's a lot of stuff that i didn't even read or hear of beforehand like wh- when totally. he's when he's on the train with them yeah um i mean the next sleep that was that chapter was unreal uh-huh. um and then just even like the munger one as well as the templeton that those were very interesting yep. chapters, but I mean, the yeah, whole book was great. It's like beautiful storytelling mixed with timeless wisdom. It's, it's just phenomenal to, to mm-hmm. get those two in, in one book. No, I've read, I've read quite a few books lately, but um, it's been actually quite a few months now, but I'd say Nick's sleep letters are uh-huh. probably the most outstanding thing I've read this year so far. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I've also, I always go back to hunter baggers. Um, that book, I think you already talked about it beforehand, but yeah. that, that was, I really like that book. I have not read a hundred to one in stock market. Jake said it was uh-huh. similar to what you said. It said it wasn't. <laughs> Jake's not crazy about it, huh? No, <laughs> it's, it's, well, I read hundred beggars first. Yeah, um, maybe that too. was the mistake. Uh, but I found hundred to one. There was a few like kind of good things I got out of it, but a lot of it was just like showing the stocks that went 100 to one it was just page yeah, it was almost page. like cherry picking it's like yeah okay, well, well how, how do i act on that right 
he, he never really he kind of like I don't know it was I can't really explain how it actually like kind of explained how to actually do it it kind of right. kind of just laid out a few concepts on you have to look for a low multiple and high growth potential and you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. it's it's like what everyone says basically right. that's what right. I felt right easy to say hard to implement right yeah 100% that, that, that's why we chose we're, we were doing a giveaway for our 100 subscribers so we we're giving away 100 baggers uh nice. so nice. what people have to do is they just have to subscribe and then comment on one of our videos and then cool. they're entered and so that's why we chose 100 baggers over 100 to one in the stock market because <laughs> we like that book a little more but yeah, yeah. Cool. um another book that i've read i really like the warren buffett portfolio uh, that book, it's about like focused investing. And then they talk about how John Maynard Keynes was also a really good investor as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's slipping me who exactly wrote that. Same one as the Warren Buffett way. Was uh, it Hagstrom? Yeah. Robert Hagstrom. Yeah. Robert Hagstrom. Um, yeah. That was, that was a, probably one of my f- more favorite Warren Buffett books that I've read this year. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. No shortage of great books out there. No, exactly right. I mean, this, the shortest is the time to read them. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah. So um, besides reading annual reports, what are some other key resources that you use, I guess, other than reading books as well um, uh-huh. when researching companies? Yeah. Um, one, one tool I've really been getting into lately is Twitter. I don't know how active. I know you guys are growing on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the, I think there, there's a critical mass point on Twitter where you're following a certain number of, you know, thoughtful other investors where you can search for company tickers and, you know, sort by latest and also sort by people you're following and, you know, figure out who else has been talking about a particular company. And then you can DM them directly and really go deep down the rabbit hole on a company that way with kind of direct communication, which can be really helpful. Um, Another one that not everyone is gonna have access to is Manual of Ideas, uh, which is a membership group uh, based in Switzerland. Um, That's been awesome. John reached out to me, he offered me like a complimentary one-year membership because I like mentioned him in a video or mentioned manual of ideas in a video. See, this is the stuff that happens when you kind of grow a a community on YouTube and other platforms. Um, That's been really, really cool. Every week I get like a, an email with, you know, videos on all these companies and write-ups and, uh, it's great too. I can just go to the website and search different tickers and see, wow. you know, what what people have presented on. So that's been an incredible resource. And then Value Investors Club, of course. I think, you know, if you're just getting started, look, trying to figure out how to get better at, at investing each day, just look at the new write-ups on Value Investors Club, and that's going to get you a long way. And you know, wiring your brain to look at new investment opportunities. So, again, there, there's a lot out there. Uh, that can be really helpful. Yeah. Are you familiar with the focus compounding guys? Uh, uh, yeah. Kuhn, Andrew Kuhn, is that? Is that yeah. The guy? An- Andrew Kuhn and then Jeff Gannon, who, which is a little older. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, I haven't uh, really got into their stuff yet. I just kind of discovered them recently. I think, are they mainly a YouTube channel or is it a podcast? Uh, yeah, so they have a YouTube channel, but then they also do like yeah. a podcast on the yeah, YouTube yeah. channel. And then they do like little short, they, I think they're one of the better YouTube channels for investing. Uh-huh. Um, they run like, a fund too. They run a fund, but, right. but, Jeff, yep. but Jeff Gannon also has a great website. And um, he always talks about Valley Investors Club as well as Corner Berkshire, Corner yeah. Burke and Fairfax. It's yeah. a good one. And yeah, I think he he reads up on those daily. I think it's like his yeah. like morning news is is right. through VIC and then COBF. So much better than than you know watching the news, in my opinion. <laughs> Get right yeah, into yeah. individual companies. Yeah, listen um, to Jim Cramer talk. <laughs> oh God, uh, I um. I actually tried to figure out what focused compound fund owned at one point. I think it, I'm pretty sure it's under a hundred million. So I couldn't, there weren't any mm-hmm. 13 F's or anything like that. Um, you know, one way I've had success doing that for funds that aren't required to disclose. I did this with Chris Meyer. I just, you know, I searched Chris Meyer um, disclose or DISC in, for, for tweets where he had disclosed holdings. And I came up, you know, I basically pieced together his 11 stock portfolio doing that and made a video about it. That was, that was fun. Um, another way to leverage Twitter for, you know, not every investor obviously is going to talk about all of their holdings in yeah. tweets, but, but some talk about quite a few. Jeremy Raper also um, talks about his positions quite often, seems to be a, a pretty smart investor. I, I used him to dig into Shinikin in Japan when I discovered that Pabrai bought into that. So, um, yes. Yeah, How have they been cool. doing lately? Shinikin, I don't even know. It's like a 10-year play for me. I haven't looked. What are your thoughts on Seritage's recent uh, quarter there yesterday? You know, I haven't looked at that either. <laughs> Seritage is um, at least a five. I, I don't think much compelling is going to happen before five years. Uh, that's that's going to get me interested in selling. So uh, th- there's so much to look at that it's just not the not the highest use of my time to to read the the quarterlies right when they come out. I'm sure I'll look at it at some point, but hasn't been on the top of my my list. Did you guys look at it? I skimmed it there briefly, yeah. um, but. I don't usually read the quarters of Seritage either. And uh-huh. um, I usually, just usually not a lot see. going on. <laughs> no, like not at all. I found this quarter was pretty like, like everyone was kind of complaining about like the FFO numbers, mm-hmm. but um, like you can't judge quarter to quarter with them trying to uh, basically revamp their company, like revamp the real estate. Right. So you can't be judging quarter. No, quarter. The, the FFO is going to be terrible for a while. With yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just like, you know, whatever. No, exactly. It's, it's- pretty well the similar stuff over and over again and then people are like oh my god uh, whether it's they had a negative earn or negative income for whatever it may be for that quarter and people are like oh my god they're losing more money and it's just like yeah, yeah. and it you really not gives that you, before you get on into it i guess <laughs> it, it gives you insights into you know who the short-term investors are versus the long-term investors paying attention that kind of stuff yep yeah, I sent a tweet out yesterday or this morning, maybe, and I asked what are people's opinions on the on the earnings, and a lot of people was were saying like it didn't really change their opinion. I was like, okay, well, 
we got some long-term holders then i guess <laughs> for heritage that's good right. nobody that said like oh my god i'm shorting it after after this quarter this is terrible management or whatever it was so yeah um yeah do you have any do you have any advice for anybody that's starting youtube or that wants to start a YouTube? youtube yeah uh my best advice well this is gonna yeah my best advice is don't edit. That's going to sound weird to a lot of people. Uh, the reason that was so important for me, if, if I had spent time editing all of my videos, I couldn't have put out a video every day for three months, for four months, for six months. Um, it just wouldn't have been feasible. And the thing that really matters when you're starting out is to put out as much content as possible because you don't know what's going to have traction. You don't know what's going to work, what's going to stick, what people are going to want to see from you uh, unless you have that volume. And people, you know, obviously people get nervous about that because they want to have their best foot forward. They don't want to make, you know, they don't want to look like a fool, right? None of us want to look like fools. Uh, but the great thing about YouTube, when you're starting out, nobody's watching. So, as you're getting better by putting out more and more content, more and more people are watching. So it's this, it's this nice little, uh, the, the curves follow each other perfectly so that you don't have to worry about it. Um, so that's my best advice. Make it as easy as possible to put out content and, and don't be too critical about your content. Just put it out. So yeah, just stay consistent. That's yep. similar to what, um, if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. He's the one who inspired that. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, just get it out there. And then if people don't like it, they don't like it, then it's okay. Well, change, do something different. But if they like it, then just keep on hammering home at. And you know. if, if people don't like it, it's like, okay, you know, I'm not just doing this for other people. I'm doing it for me as well, right? It's the best learning tool that I have. To, to teach what I think I know to other people, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm gonna get feedback. I'm gonna realize as I'm talking about something, oh, I don't know as much about this thing as I thought I did, right? When it was just in my head, now that I have to actually uh, elaborate verbally what, what I think I know. So it's just been an incredible learning tool for me, regardless of what anybody else thinks. Uh, I think if you go into it, only looking for feedback on what other people want, uh, you're not going to get the full value out of it yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's what Jake and I have felt is that just putting content out and then putting it out for helping us as well as helping other people. But no, like, I mean, if I wanted to get views and clicks, I probably wouldn't be talking about value investing on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yes. Right. So you can talk I mean, about Bitcoin and Tesla and all that stuff. Exactly. Right. So yep. no, me and J Jake and I, we DM the people that we want to talk to and have a discussion with or, mm -hmm. or email them or whatever it may be. So then we can learn as well as somebody that's interested in Brad Kellner, YouTube, or somebody that's interested in previous people that we had on, such as I got to talk about Amazon AWS. Like if you don't want to listen mm -hmm. to Amazon AWS, then you're not going to want to click on our YouTube video, but right. yeah. No, that's, that's very good advice. And we thank you for that. Um, I guess the final note but it's, is it's, it's hard to implement. It's hard to put that into practice. 
True. So, uh, the only way I was able to do it was I just had a commitment to myself. I'm going to put out a video every day. And if it sucks, well, nobody's going to watch it because it's not going to get any traction. Right. So, but it's, I remember the first time I turned a camera on, like pointed at me, I just froze. Like, it's like, this is, ah, I can't, it took a while to get comfortable in front of the camera. So, yeah. Like, I mean, I wouldn't even say that I'm fully comfortable on the camera yet sure. or anything like that. I, I mean, there's probably an advantage to being a little on edge, right? It brings energy and, and that kind of yeah, thing. Exactly, but, yeah. Um, it's just practice. Perfect. So I guess the final note is, uh, where can the listeners find more about you? Um, what am I pushing these days? Obviously my YouTube channel, Stock Compounder, um, Twitter, which is funny. I, I have no like cross-pollination between, you know, I, I notice a lot of YouTubers on Twitter. They're always like pushing their YouTube videos. I, I don't think I've ever done that. Uh, and I find that, that that can be a big mistake to have one platform that you're really focused on and then kind of use all of these other platforms to try to drive traffic to one platform. The algorithms hate that, right? The Twitter algorithm does not want people leaving to go to YouTube. So it's really hard to grow on different platforms if you're, if you're trying to play that game. Um, that was a digression, obviously. Twitter, uh, it's really just Twitter and YouTube right now. That's the game. I, I was trying to make something on LinkedIn for a while, but oh, it's so stuffy over there. I just, there's no energy. Um, so oh. it's really just Twitter and YouTube. Perfect. We'll put those links down below um, for yeah. this video or cool. if you're watching on any podcast platform, we'll put it down below for anybody that wants to and should click on those links. Thank you. So, well, thank you very much for joining us today, Brad. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. It's been great. And uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you'll come back on maybe with Tom sometime later. Happy to. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yep. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Under the Mattress. If you have any questions about this episode, you can email us at moneyunderthemattress.podcast at gmail.com. Everything discussed in this podcast is our opinion and should not be used as investment advice.
This podcast is for your entertainment and education purposes only, and we hope that you enjoyed it.